What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. KFI AM uh, 640. Bill Handel live everywhere on the uh, iHeartRadio app. Uh, some news coming in. Uh, another shooting, another mass shooting. This one is at uh, Michigan State University. Three students killed, five injured. Well, so we took a little vacation from those, didn't we? And um, at this point, Nikki Haley is this morning announced uh, her bid for uh, the uh, run for president in 2024, Republican run. And I, I, the exciting part about this is waiting for uh, Donald Trump and what he is going to say about her. That's uh, the, that is politics at its best. Now, a bit of news uh, that is troubling, and I don't think it's any surprise. One of the things that we do, and Americans particularly, is we will take a premise, and there's a lot of anecdotal information out there. For example, in this case, uh, we've talked about this before, uh, that young girls, for example, are more apt to commit suicide or more uh, because of the internet, because of body shaming, uh, because of the way they look, uh, the way they act. They're just much more vulnerable. Guys really don't seem to care as much. Okay, so with that premise... And virtually everybody knows someone who has been uh, abused and bullied more so as a young girl. What do we do with that? Right? Well, instantly, sociologists and the medical folks and the psychiatrists, uh, the social workers, people who deal with uh, the mental issues of uh, young people in particular, go out and start doing studies. And I mean a lot of studies. And it goes across the board from governmental studies uh, NIH studies, for example, in this case, it's going to be a CDC study, I'm going to quote, uh, as well as university studies. So this one just came out. Uh, the CDC reported this, federal researchers, and this is uh, an important study, and it uh, merely confirms what we all know, but I like science on this. So Bottom line, uh, that teen girls across the United States are, quote, engulfed in a growing wave of violence and trauma. According to the CDC, this was released uh, yesterday. Increases in rape, sexual violence, as well as record levels of feeling sad or hopeless. Now, when talking about this, uh, what do you do? Well, it gives us an idea of how pervasive this is. It gives us an idea of how deep this is, this problem And hopefully it uh, brings to the forefront, the front burner, uh, the problem with uh, what's going on uh, with uh, young girls. One in three high school girls reported uh, 2021, they seriously considered suicide. One in three. And that's up 60% from a decade ago, according to the CDC. 
15% forced to have sex, they said, effectively rape. That's an increase of 27% over two years. I mean, it goes on and on when you look at these stats. Almost three in five teenage girl reported feeling so persistently sad or hopeless almost every day for at least two weeks. That's double what boys do. Boys are not as vulnerable. One, uh, boys don't do that to each other. They're not as catty. You know, and I don't want to be completely misogynistic here, but uh, girls are cattier than boys. Yeah, let the emails go. Just write to uh, my program director and she'll deal with it. But uh, that's sort of a given. And unfortunately, and because of the the makeup, uh, much like uh, guys are physiologically different, uh, wired differently, uh, emotionally women and guys are wired differently also. And we're finding out that when we talk about the distress young girls are experiencing and feeling, uh, we're beginning to understand uh, literally uh, how how deep this problem is, more so than we thought. Now, uh, a psychologist who looks at this says there's not a single cause. There are a lot of causes here. Uh, but trying to figure out, uh, and what he said was, girls are more likely to respond to pain in the world by internalizing conflict and stress and fear. Boys are more likely to translate those feelings into anger and aggression uh, I am very successful in dealing with the world problems and familial problems around me because I find the easiest way is just not to give a rats. If you don't care, it works out very well. So for whom? For me. Ah. I don't internalize this stuff. Come on. You know, that's your problem, not mine. But with girls, it's very, very different. The pandemic took a huge toll. Oh, yeah. A lot of depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, uh, even though they were there before, really went out, really went up, cooped up at home for months. A lot of people lost relatives or friends or knew of someone who was lost to COVID. You put that all together and here's what you got. The American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, uh, Children's Hospital Association, all said we're in a state of emergency. That's the bad news. I think the good news is we really recognize it now. And I think you're going to see uh, some real efforts being made, which I will tell you about when it happens. When uh, California legalized cannabis, there was a lot of excitement. Uh, dispensary people, I mean, good God, they've been selling uh, cannabis on the streets. It's illegal. Uh, it's uh, It was you know, street corner drugs. Well, that was going to change completely. We have dispensaries now uh, regulating uh, all manner of cannabis from the growth to the picking and production and uh, distribution and packaging and retail. And, of course, taxes up and down that entire chain. And so it turned out that it got so damn expensive that uh, the illegal market is three times that of the legal market. And cannabis folks are going, wait a minute, we're going broke. So there's some new legislation that was put forth by Assemblyman Matt Haney, a Democrat out of San Francisco, and uh, he was su sucking up on a huge blunt when he came out and uh, uh, introduced this. It would legalize the sale of food and non-alcoholic beverages at uh, cannabis retailers and lounges. Now, it's important to note, it's not a question of restaurants offering up cannabis. 
You know, I'll take a cheeseburger, fries, and a couple of joints. Can't do that. But it is at cannabis lounges where you can say, I'll take a joint. Oh, by the way, I want a cheeseburger and fries. See, it's it goes one way and not the other. And why is this? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, the retailers just isn't cutting it. They have to figure out, okay, what do we do? So let's just start adding food. Now, what is better combination? And uh, this is like, well, um, what do you think? Chocolate and raspberries, it works out. Uh, think of some great combinations out there. Bagels and locks. Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut Macaroni butter, and a, cheese. Yeah, uh, you put all that together, and right at the top of the list is uh, cannabis and food. Pot and food. Nothing like that in this world. The munchies just hit you. Can you? So you can imagine these dispensaries are going, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to figure out a way to bring in customers our customers and have them stay and let them not go out to the street and let them not buy by the drug dealers. Now, if I'm a drug dealer, right, if I am selling illegal pot and now I am competing with uh, dispensaries who are allowed now to serve food and beverages, non-alcoholic, what is the first thing I'm going to do when uh, someone orders up uh, half a dozen joints? Can I get you a burger and cheese uh, and fries with that? I'll be your mini DoorDash. So I don't think they thought this one through where the offer is I'll stop by McDonald's or uh, Burger King and swing by. and Or if you buy enough pot, I'll stop by the Cheesecake Factory and pick you up a nice meal. Or if you order a lot of pot, I will stop by some really serious restaurants to give you food. So they haven't really thought that through a lot. But when you think about it, the model that was created here in California in developing the legal pot industry was so flawed, is so flawed, that it makes no sense. The taxation rate is through the roof. Granted, it raises a lot of money, but it could raise a lot more uh, if it just became more accept- – if people had more access to it, if they could do different things. You ever been to a, a cannabis lounge no. Okay, I have my daughter is a pot smoker, and I, I'm not a pot smoker. I mean, I used to be, of course, but I, that's when it was illegal. And as soon as it became legal, I wasn't interested. Of course not. Yeah, uh, right. That's Way just, too mainstream for you. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's true. It's uh, like when I was, uh, I was dating. I, I always wanted to date uh, the people that wouldn't date me, and as soon as they agreed, the women agreed to date me, I wasn't interested anymore. <laughs> Why would I be interested in someone who's willing yeah, to date why? me? Yeah, and yeah, the Groucho Marx philosophy. Uh, but the point is, if you go into these cannabis cafes, these cannabis lounges, and I've been, I, once I went with my daughter, and that's all they do. You go in and you smoke. You buy pot and you sit there and you smoke. Little tables and you puff it up. I got to tell you, you can't see in front of you five feet. It's a London fog. I mean, you're literally, you're swinging your hands around just to get the smoke out of your eyes. Yeah, not fun. Not fun. Would you rather sit down and just uh, relax, uh, have your joint, and uh, have a, a nice meal or two or three? Order your cheeseburger or two or three? 
makes sense to me. So back to the flawed concept of what uh, the cannabis uh, industry is in California. The regulations are so insane that at every point, not only is it regulated, reports have to be written. Uh, everything has to be marked, probably more so than anything else. Maybe the drug industry is more restrictive in terms of governmental uh, over uh, oversight. And then the dispensaries. Here's the problem is that every city and county can make their own rules about whether or not to grant a dispensary license. So you have a state law that says, oh, yeah, go ahead. And then you have cities go, oh, no, no, not interested, uh, can limit the number of dispensaries. And I'm talking about way beyond just zoning. You know, you can't be near a school and we can't have more than, you know, one. Well, actually, I don't even think that exists. You can have businesses right next to each other. But uh, any limitation uh, is, uh, at least it makes a little bit of sense. Not with cannabis, Cannabis city can go, no, thank you. Cannabis city, you can, uh, uh, the cannabis law is uh, you can't have dispensaries within five miles of each other. It goes on and on. So uh, one way out, uh, according to Assemblyman Matt Haney, I couldn't agree, uh, couldn't agree more. Legalize the sale of food and non-alcoholic beverage at these retailers and lounges. Matter of fact, I'd go the other way, too. And that is uh, allow... Uh, restaurants to uh, sell uh, cannabis. Now, obviously not the smoking kind because you can't smoke, but there's a bunch of different ways of doing it. You know, those gummies. Problem is those gummies don't kick in for a good hour, hour and a half. So you go ahead and you have your food and then all of a sudden an hour and a half later, you're having your food again and then over and over again and then you explode. So there's some issues. We haven't figured all of them out yet, but we're getting there. We are absolutely getting there. We've been covering, obviously, police shootings for, well, I don't know how many years we've been covering them. And the controversy now, or one of the controversies that we really haven't had until recently, and that's the release of the video. Ever since body cams came in, body cams changed everything. Prior to body cams, it was the police testifying, resisting arrest, Boom. And it didn't matter uh, how badly they beat up the suspect or not suspect. It was a given. Uh, If you argued police uh, excessive force, it was a loser because the police simply say resisting arrest. uh, Yeah, all all manner of of, of things. Didn't talk to us, uh, try to run away, whatever. Well, those days, of course, have changed uh, for a couple of reasons. People are much, much more cognizant of what's going on. Uh, There are tough rules now, much more about... uh, Enforcement issues, excessive force, and body cams, and uh, the uh, political fallout, the backlash. So one of the big issues, and uh, this uh, comes out, uh, it's uh, the LA Times article that came out yesterday, happens to be with the issue of releasing police videos. California requires police departments to release footage of most, virtually all officer shootings, and other serious uses of force within 45 days. Have to release it. Problem is, it doesn't say how much it has to release. It's up to the individual department to either release all the raw footage or edited versions, California or LAPD, for example. There's a story in the LA Times. LAPD, what it does is edit it and then compiles uh, the 911 calls and compiles uh, surveillance video, uh, both uh, city as well as private uh, surveillance video and, of course, body cams, edits the whole thing 
And let's say there's uh, an hour of this stuff from various sources, because maybe 30 cameras, and it's a five-minute uh, event. Well, that's 150 minutes. And they only come down with seven and a half minutes edited. And then there is a public information officer that narrates it and explains. And, of course, uh, people go, that's not transparency. That's not transparency. So uh, it, it's a very big deal. Now, the Tyree Nichols case, uh, the police, uh, the city is being credited with releasing the body cam footage uh, almost immediately. But I'm going to say something. You can't look at the Tyree case as a typical case. You cannot. And here's why. Because what the police did was so blatant. What the police did, there was absolutely no discussion. Uh, You can't argue maybe there's another side You can't argue, let's look at it and see if there was anything going on beforehand that somehow would move the police in a direction. For example, pulling out uh, something that may have been uh, construed as a weapon or running and then turning around and reaching into one's waistband. So at least the argument can be made that this is not a simple act of a police shooting indiscriminately shooting at uh, someone who is a suspect. So that's easy. And unfortunately, that's easy because they, uh, this poor boy, this poor young man, 27, was beat to death. And no one deserves that, and especially being innocent. And I'm going to make that really clear as far as I'm, I'm convinced that this is just an innocent guy. But when it gets a little bit more complicated, when there are issues that you have to look at, especially uh, if you put video together and you, for example, here's what the media does. It stops the frame. And says, look at this. You can barely see a weapon, but you can see a weapon. Or this may look like a weapon, but it's really clear this was a Subway sandwich that was wrapped up in aluminum foil, which is a case uh, that happened. That's easy. Well, he should have known. He should have seen. Well, you know, this happens in the space of just a second or two. And when we talk about the release of all the video and the media has access and the family says, I want it right now, and police departments are, in fact, uh, releasing it right now, well, there's a lot of room for accusations. There's a lot of room for misinterpretations or different interpretations. So this controversy obviously is continuing uh, it's part of what states are doing. Some police departments, uh, they don't say you, you have to do it at all. Some like California, you have to. Uh, some like LAPD, uh, you do release it, but an edited version, 45 days to release it. The average, incidentally, is 35 days, uh, in the LAPD. So please don't look at the Tyree Nichols case as uh, anything other than an outlier case in terms of releasing the videos. Crystal clear, no issue. Hell, I would have released it in two seconds. Every bit of raw footage shows what happened. Now, when there is, uh, you have to make a couple of subjective decisions, and it could really go either way. So do you release the video before the investigation? Huh. Not, not so easy to figure that out, is there? Or is it? Valentine's Day today. Surprised that I hate Valentine's Day? Are you at all stunned? Uh, I find Valentine's Day one of uh, the more obnoxious holidays, and I think legitimately so. 
Uh, and here's why. Okay, and tell me if you don't uh, agree with me. Uh, Valentine's Day, uh, flowers and candy. All right, starting with candy. I mean, do you want your loved one to put on 45 pounds over the next two days? Okay, that's for starters. Also, everybody gives C's candies, and I just don't like C's candies. I just, I'm just not a big fan. And then you have flowers. Now, flowers today are easier than they were years ago, and that's because of the price of flowers. I mean, keep in mind, this is February, and how many fresh flowers you think are out there, and how much you think they cost? Well, today it's different because, of course, uh, there's a global economy, and they fly in flowers from all over the world. Uh, matter of fact, uh, if you go to Israel, if you go to Holland, uh, they grow fresh flowers uh, every day, and you will see them literally taken to the airport packed in these big cargo uh, planes and then flown all over the world for flesh, uh, fresh flowers. Uh, that's uh, particularly Israel this time of year. Chile, uh, a lot of flowers come here. So it's not quite as bad as it used to be. I mean, fresh flowers and candy. I mean, okay. Uh, and then the Valentine's Day cards. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, well, it's not contrived. A Valentine's, a Valentine's Day cards actually started in the early 1800s. We're actually in the 1700s. Uh, because Valentine's Day became this uh, I love you, you love me holiday. And then the cards are so sappy. I mean, they drive me nuts. Uh, I love these. You know, it, It's almost like, uh, you know, the cards you send out like in December for that guy who died over there in, uh, you know, uh, Israel area, Palestine, uh, depending on which side of the beard you're on on that Christmas. one. Oh, that's it. Thank you. You're I appreciate welcome. that. Yeah, that one. Uh, Valentine, at least that one makes a little sense. Valentine's Day, not so much. Because let me tell you the history of Valentine's Day. Everybody thinks, boy, what a neat holiday. It's love. Well, it is love if you like people's heads being chopped off. Which is, by the way, it should be a big deal in uh, certain Arab countries. And strangely, it's not. And you would think Valentine's Day would be big over there. So, it all goes to 3rd uh, century Roman priest uh, Valentinus. Or Val- yes, Valentinus uh, was beaten and beheaded after marrying couples in defiance of Emperor Claudius II's ban on the sacrament of marriage on February 14th. Okay, couldn't do it. Claudius said no to February 14th. Do you know why he banned marriage? I do not. He banned marriage because he was having trouble building an army, and he thought men were not going into the army because they were devoted okay. to their wives and children. Okay. So that's well, why he banned it. I appreciate that. She's gone a little bit further into uh, the research. Thank you very much for that. All right, so uh, when Valentin- Valentinius, uh, his actions were discovered, uh, Claudius ordered him to be put to death. And I guess he had a choice. Do we behead him first and then beat him up? Or do we beat him up and then behead him? I think it was, that was the flip of a coin, I imagine. And I think it was the beating first and then the beheading. And the execution is celebrated around the world. Everybody thinks that's great that Valentinus has no head. And you would think uh, he's a saint now, incidentally. Uh, you don't know what he looks like because there's no face there you know there's no head all you see is uh, a body running around it's it's almost like a, a bad slasher movie it's a slasher movie of the third century uh where there's just no head all right so he orders him to have his head cut off 
And it was carried out about February 14th on or about the year 2070. And it is celebrated around the world. Uh, and it's a romantic holiday that's been secularized. Now, here were the choices. Either you celebrate uh, Valentine's defiance of Claudius' order that you cannot get married this day, and you do it in light of that, uh, and you talk about the love, or you celebrate his head being chopped off. I'm more for the head, personally. I find uh, that, a, uh, especially historically speaking, it is a much better holiday, but it doesn't work that way. So um, St. Valentine was uh, first imprisoned uh, for having joined in marriage the young Serpaccio, or Serapio, who's Christian, and uh, a Roman legionary, Sabino, who was pagan. That really got him in trouble. I mean, that intermarriage stuff just didn't work out. You know, it was the first attempt at loving, uh, loving versus Virginia interracial marriage. It did not work out. Romeo and Juliet. Pagans, Christians, do not mix. It's like oil and water. It didn't work that way. So he first was put in prison. And here is the fun one. And this is a, a religious um, uh, statement that's made, a religious fact. And that is, uh, you know, uh, and Catholics particularly, they're big into icons. You know, bits and pieces of people. You know, like knuckles and heads, uh, yeah, you go to, uh, you know, for example, Istanbul uh, Topkapi uh, Palace, which is now a museum, John the Baptist's head. Uh, and you go, you know, various uh, knuckles and arms and legs and femurs and things. Well, cathedrals in five different countries, lots of cathedrals, uh, claim to house various pieces of St. Valentine. And you go and pilgrim. By the way, it was a big money thing. It was like in the, in those days, or all through the medieval era, you know, the churches had these pieces, had these uh, icons, and they were pilgrims. It and they paid people would give donations. It was like Disneyland, where you donate money before you go on uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, for example. You put money in, and believe me, and because it's God, because it's Jesus, big money flows. Big money. If you actually compile a list of the churches around the world that have pieces of the cross that Jesus uh, was crucified on, put them all together, what you have is a small lumber yard. There are so many pieces of the cross out there. I am so uncomfortable. You're going to get struck by lightning. Uh, it's By the way, it's all true. I don't care if you're still going to get struck by lightning. It's all True. So enjoy Valentine's Day. Okay. Heads off to Valentine's Day. I would say hats off, but there's no place to put a hat. I think we'll leave it at that. What do you think, huh? Oh, I love Valentine's Day. Here we go. The International Business Show, which is in uh, Las uh, Vegas, the Builder Show, uh, International Builder Show, IBS. Kind of an interesting uh, acronym. Maybe they should change that one around. What do you think? And uh, every year they have this, and it's enormous. I mean, it's uh, a million square feet of space. And I talk to uh, Dean Sharp every year about what's new and what's happening. I didn't get to this part because it's there's so many parts of it. And this has to do with uh, the smaller homes. 
tiny homes. And what's really neat about going to the show, which I've been a couple of times, is out in the parking lot, they actually set up these homes. And you walk through these homes. Sometimes they're inside, usually they're outside. And they're much smaller. They're tiny homes, 350, 400 square feet. It's almost like uh, an ADU, a little uh, unit you put in the backyard, which under California law now, uh, no one can say no to that. The NIMBY part of it doesn't work. Uh, However, the tiny homes part uh, maybe does. Why? Because you can put a lot uh, a lot more units, many more units on a piece of land uh, than otherwise you would be able to. And if you have a piece of property next door and you have, let's say, a quarter or half an acre and all of a sudden you've got eight units next to you, granted, they're five feet apart, but they're still there. But here's what's going on in the world of tiny homes. And it's a contradiction is what's happening. During COVID, people built a lot. They wanted bigger homes because you're home a lot more. Well, in terms of buying homes, in terms of interest rates now, in terms of uh, the cost of homes, and and then just uh, the sheer use factor of homes, you know, figuring out, you know, you there's a lot of empty space here. What's happening is uh, that homes have actually gotten just a ton smaller. So a couple of stats, according to the National Association of Home Builders, uh, the medium size of new family homes has gone down to 2,200 square feet, 2,276, which is the lowest in years as it was going up for all the reasons I told you about that. And uh, this show, which showed many, many different kinds of homes, uh, is... And I'm fascinated by all of this. And why? Because I was in the construction business. I built homes. Badly, I might add. uh, And remodeled homes. Even worse. I worked my way through law school uh, in my construction business, which was one of my spectacular failures. But I remodeled. I built the Persian Palace, as you know. So I'm particularly interested. With the Persian Palace, I built the biggest house I could. Uh, It was uh, more space, the merrier. Today... It would change completely. Uh, And one of the problems is the conversation that occurred here at the show or there at the show, the conversation was all about constraint. You've got the interest rates. You've got material costs. You've got a shortage of land, a shortage of skilled labor, which means just the number of homes that are going uh, to be built has been declining like crazy. The chief economist of the National Association of Home Builders said single-family home starts fell 12% in 2022. is going to go down an additional 26% this year, which means that there is a huge deficit. And I'm not talking about tiny homes in terms of uh, the city building tiny homes for homeless people. Uh, these are fully functional for real homes uh, that people buy And why is that? Well, look at the cost of land. Look at the cost of housing. Look at the cost of mortgages, uh, maintenance. I mean, put all that together and what do you have? You got a, especially here in Southern California, an insanely expensive place to live. Where, what was it, the 80%, I just read that figure, 80% of uh, homes uh, are out of the reach or 80% of people who live here can't afford homes. Not even close. I mean, five, you know what $500,000 buys you in Southern California? You know what $500,000 buys you in Peoria? Peoria? 
Do you know what $500,000 buys you in North Yemen? North Yemen. Yeah, I, you get you a lot. You buy all of North yeah, Yemen. Yeah, you get a lot of land. You really do. No question about it. But so when uh, people who went to the show looked at these homes and said, okay, this is certainly the way we're going to live. A couple things about these houses that makes so much sense. Number one is uh, that the... Well, the land space you need is very small, and then zoning has to be done, and you're going to see single-home zoning, and it's going to be a huge fight because if I bought a house and I'm on a quarter acre, and all of a sudden next door you've got the same quarter acre with four of these, uh uh-uh, I don't think so. So there's that fight. Uh, Same thing with the fight with the ADUs, those uh, extra units in the backyard. Hey, that prevailed. Too bad. California said we need the housing. All right, so you've got the, uh, the cost of land. Uh, then what you have is the cost of the house and the way they're manufactured. Uh, manufactured. I said not built. I said manufactured. Because now, and if you, I, I've been looking at some of these uh, going to uh, the uh, interwebs, and all you do is go small housing, small houses, and you will see, I don't know, dozens of companies uh, around the country that manufacture these homes. 350, 400, 450, 500 square feet. And these are full homes and they're put together like Lego sets. They are manufactured in factories where the waste factor is basically non-existent, where they don't have to about to worry about the wood, uh, the cost of, well, they have to worry about the wastage. Uh, You have the equipment there, so you don't have guys hammering. You have literally this mechanized equipment that puts things together and does it in a better way uh, with, um, in simply uh, the measurements are tighter. Uh, The way they fit together is better. Uh, The Lighting is pre-planned, putting in. I mean, it's just an, just a, a neat way of doing it. Now, they have homes uh, that are in the $3,000, $4,000 range that are manufactured homes, and they're always a lot cheaper. Problem is, they look like cookie-cutter uh, cookie homes, and they're not anymore. They are extraordinary. So but going back to the small house, okay, uh, there's one company, uh, and it's a local company called Boss. I don't know what the hell it stands for. Uh, But they have a 375-foot home, square feet, two bedrooms, one and a half bath, and a loft to sleep in. So, well, for example, going up the stairs. You think you have a staircase? You have one of those circular stairways, you know, those iron stairways that go up and down. Okay, uh, pain in the ass, especially at night. You know, you sort of trip all over them and you take a a header going straight down. Maybe that's a little problematic. But there you're saving an enormous amount of space. Uh, Almost no hallways. If you design the house, there's almost no hallways. Uh, Basically, they're stacked. The stories are stacked one on top of another. And... When you have the bathroom, the one-and-a-half bathroom, uh, it's the same line, same electrical lines, uh, same plumbing lines, so that gets cheaper. So let's talk about empty space. Let's talk about saving space. Well, a lot of people want offices, right? You're at home. A lot of people created their own offices. A lot of people remodel to put their own offices in. You don't need offices anymore. Who needs an office? You need a desk. You need a lamp. You need a plug and you need an internet connection. And you have yourself an office. 
Matter of fact, if you really want to make it small, uh, you have a fold-down desk or a fold-up desk. The way that people are thinking now, think in terms of um, you have a sailboat. And have you seen the living quarters in a sailboat? I mean, they are tiny but so well-designed. Every inch of space is utilized, either for storage. Uh, the appliances are tiny, which still work. I mean, you have a four-burner stove, you know what, uh, or a two-burner stove. You can make that work. It's a little bit tougher, but look at the amount of money you save and look at the space you save. The refrigerators are much smaller. I guess you take the European model. If you go to Europe or look at what they do in Europe, first of all, the apartments, because they're all very old, are very small. Even new construction, uh, much, much smaller. Refrigerators are basically under-the-counter refrigerators. Uh, it's, it's nothing because they go down and get fresh food. Because that's just the that's just how the culture works. There's a bakery down the street. Uh, there's a guy who sells, uh, you know, the farmer who sells fresh fruit, and then the farmer right next to him that sells the old fruit that the first farmer can't sell that day. And then you can go down the line, and by the fifth store down there, you're getting fruit really cheap, soft but cheap. It's a different way of living. Do we go in that direction? Well, it's healthier. Uh, people like it a lot more. Maybe that is the future. Certainly the homes being smaller are the future. Uh, there is one builder who builds uh, a, his, ho his home is about 400, 420 uh, square feet. And we're talking about a couple living there. I mean, you've got to really like the other person. There's no chance. I mean, my ADU would be a tent in the backyard if I had to live with someone at 420 square feet. But, the buyers describe, and he describes the buyers as they want a full kitchen, but they analogize it to a Swiss Army knife. It's very small, but it does a whole lot. And one of the things that we don't do as builders, and I've known builders my whole life, I was one, we really don't think of space saving. We don't think of utilization as space. We think of let's make it as big as we can. So what are the costs of some of these homes? 350 square foot by that company boss, 60,000 bucks. They come out, take someone three days to plop that one down on the foundation. You run the sewer line. I mean, the whole thing goes for $70,000 for a 350 square foot home. That's the other thing. That's also the magic of this stuff. I thought I'd move over to uh, something that we're dealing with, and that's homelessness. As you know, homelessness has become, and I'm going to talk about this over again because I have talked about it, because it is, if not the most uh, pressing problem we have uh, here in Southern California uh, among them. Karen Bass uh, gets elected, and uh, she runs on the campaign of homelessness. She gets elected mayor. Rick Caruso who was her uh, opposing candidate, Republican, he ran on the campaign of homelessness. Uh, Gavin Newsom, when he ran for governor and ran a second time, what was his primary campaign issue? Homelessness. So with that, why is that such a big deal? I'll tell you what we haven't been talking about is the homeless population. And why is that? 
Well, because uh, you know what the number one population in terms of homelessness in uh, our cities are the elderly. Now, to be fair, uh, that's uh, the way it's uh, looked at. It's everybody over 50 who is homeless is considered elderly. And that's not just a statistic that someone pulled out of whole cloth. The reason that uh, over 50 is considered or that is uh, the um, critical mass uh, point where you go right into elderly, that's the uh, bar, is because if someone is homeless and has been for a period of time at 50 or older, they are older. They're not 50. They're 60 or 70. Just look at them and look at them in terms of their medical problems, heart disease, blood pressure, drug addiction, infection. I mean, right across the line, uh, you look at uh, the medical problems they have. And uh, it, 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 these are old people who are in a lot of trouble. California, we have a third of the nation's homeless people. And seniors are the fastest growing group. From 2017 to 2021, for example, the senior population grew 7%. The number of people over 55 who went into the homelessness services world asked for help grew by 84%, almost doubled. Population of seniors, 7% up. Number of people asking for help that are seniors, people that are homeless, 84% uh, increase. I mean, that is a crazy. And as you would guess, the longer people are homeless, and this is across the board, uh, the more severe all of the aspects of homelessness uh, happens to them. And then you look at uh, your, the income streams that people have, uh, Social Security benefits, which in fact are falling and not keeping up with inflation uh, supplemental security income simply have not kept up. So it gets harder and harder and look at the cost of rents here. And this is a very, very tough place to live. I've often said that America is a tough place to be poor. Granted, it is one of the world's uh, great countries in terms of opportunity and infrastructure. Not necessarily the best, by the way. Uh, there are better now. We have not kept up. But it is a tough place to be poor because it's a market system. And among the places where it is toughest to be poor is Southern California. I mean, the benefit of being homeless, at least the weather is pretty good. Not necessarily today, but you're not in Albany, New York in the middle of winter, which there aren't that many homeless people because they tend to die on the streets. So they'll last one season and then they're done. Here in Southern, and I'm, by the way, uh, I'm not being particularly funny there. I think it's an apt analogy, as crude and as heartless as it was. But then again, if you listen to this show, hey, you know, anything new? So we're dealing with people who are particularly vulnerable. And is there an answer to this? I keep on, I keep on saying, the more money we throw at this thing, the worse it's getting. Have you noticed? to the point where billions of dollars are being thrown at this from the state, from the city, uh, from the county level, uh, federal grants, and the, the, and, and the problem just grows. And we have to figure out, well, I mean, there is an answer. We have to just throw more money at it. At some point, 
you just throw so much at it that something's going to give. Right now, it's incremental help, but the incremental, uh, the uh, incremental part of uh, the success rate. We're getting better, but we're getting better incrementally, but the numbers keep on growing more than people are being helped. I guess that makes sense. And that is a real problem. Seniors, I'll tell you the takeaway from this one, and that is uh, defining seniors as 50 years old when it comes to the homeless population. You know, when we talk about uh, no one gets old anymore, what, 70 is the new 69. People retire far, uh, far later in life. People work. Uh, they're, they're just more alive. Uh, people aren't elderly. They don't fall apart at 65. Now, in the case of seniors that are homeless, boy, they fall apart way early. This is uh, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. 